What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I am joined by Brevin Honda. My name is Kyle Betts, and we are going to dig right into episode 42. It is March 30th, 2022. We're recording this around 2 p.m. Pacific time. Um, One of our few Wednesday episodes, but we are back with a lot of content for this week. Brevin, how are you doing? Doing good. It was kind of, I was realizing, I was like, this is the quickest turnaround that we're going to have from two different weeks. (laughs) Yeah, no, it really is. Because we've kind of been all over the place lately, Mm -hmm. but all of our schedules have been uh, a little bit different. But I I think within the next couple of weeks, we'll go back to our Thursday, Friday kind of Mm -hmm. recording schedule at some point. I'm moving out today and um, for the rest of the week into a new apartment. So my life is very busy right now, but you guys don't care about that. Let's get into some sports. Let's talk some MLB. And our first bit here is pretty interesting. We have Albert Pujols, former Cardinal, Angel, and Dodger last season. Um, he's returning to the Cardinals where he began his career and obviously put together fantastic numbers, which led him up to his status as future Hall of Famer. He's back in St. Louis. He signed a one-year deal. It's going up to $2.5 million with them. It's going to be his last season. He announced that he will retire. I believe he's 42 years old. And so one more ride here for Albert Pujols. And what's interesting about this is that the Cardinals still have Adam Wainwright, obviously starting pitcher, and Yadier Merlina, their catcher. And they're up there in age as well. I'm not entirely sure all of their ages, but all of them got to be near 40. And yep. now mm-hmm. – they all have the chance to retire together. Obviously, they won a World Series in St. Louis, and um, they could also go to the Hall of Fame, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps maybe the same time on the ballot. But, Brevin, when you consider the career of Albert Pujols and ending up back in St. Louis, is that kind of the right move for him and possibly ending with his former teammates too? I think so. You know, you think about Albert Pujols, you mentioned Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, you know, part of that 2006 World Series championship team, um, you know, all three of them, they went to the World Series again in 2011. Um, I'm pretty sure Adam Maymire was with them. But, you know, the Albert Pujols, he played for the Cardinals. Uh, he suited up today in his first spring training game out in Florida. Um, so it was wonderful to see Albert Pujols on top of the induction he got a couple days ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, watching Pujols as an Angels fan, especially when he arrived in Anaheim, I mean, didn't really bring that production that you hoped with the deal, the length of that deal and the money that came with it, but still a pleasure to watch. And obviously, really nice guy, really great player. And um, seeing his 500 home run, the Angel uniform was really, really cool as well, because you don't see that too much in your lifetime. So I think that that was a really cool experience for him to Bring some pop to the bat, obviously, with the Dodgers. He made that run last year being traded and now back in St. Louis. I think it's really good for them because of the universal DH rule as well. He's not going to have to play every day. Obviously, he hasn't really these past couple of seasons with the Angels and Dodgers. He has off days every now and then as he should, being as old as he is. But excited to see what he does, and hopefully they're able to win that division and, and make some noise in the playoffs too. But speaking of winning that division, we're going to unveil our way too early division and wildcard picks and World Series picks right now. Mm-hmm. And in Major League Baseball, me and Brevin are going to have at it. And I kind of thought about this. It was tough, especially the World Series aspect of it, just because mm-hmm. anything can happen this season with injuries and trades. But um, we're going to let it fly and we'll see what happens. So, Brevin, do you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, well, let's just go division by division. So, we'll start We'll start in the National League. We'll start with that National League West Division, Kyle. Who do you got? All right. So, in the NL West, I have the Dodgers winning the NL West. Uh, sorry, Brevin. The Padres just behind you, I think. Um, I really think they have a really good chance to finish second this season. And get a wild card bird. I don't know what it is. I just think that the Padres these past couple seasons have 
really done enough to make the playoffs, but at the same time, they haven't been able to break that threshold because of injuries. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, the managerial decisions that were made were questionable too, but now I think, you know, with Bob Melvin at the helm leading the way, they'll get tough teeth back from injury. I think they can manage without him for a little bit. I think ultimately, like I said, in the, I think a couple episodes ago, it really comes down to limiting the injuries of that starting rotation. And even then, you still got depth as well in the bullpen that could possibly be even moved up with to the rotation. So I don't know. I, I like the Padres. I think that they could definitely be a wildcard team, even if it's the second spot. Um, it's really tough to pick against the Giants based off what they did last season too. But even then they, they lost a couple guys as well. So I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be really close between those two, but I think Padres might have the upper hand and Dodgers is stuff that's playing for it. Mm-hmm. I hate saying this, but I ultimately I think the Dodgers are going to win this division. You think about, you know, after winning the division eight or nine straight years, you know, the Giants took that away from the Dodgers here after winning 107 games last year, which nobody thought that was possible. Now we come here to 2022. I think, you know, obviously you don't have Kevin Gossman, which uh, is going to hurt. Obviously no Buster Posey as well. So I think this is going to be kind of like, what we were supposed to expect in 2020 between the Dodgers and the Padres, but didn't quite, didn't quite get there, obviously with yeah. COVID and that shortened season. So I think it to be the Dodgers and the Padres finding it out for that first place. And I think the Dodgers edges the Padres just a little bit, but the Padres are a wild card team. Yeah, absolutely agree on that. And I, I think that's a team that definitely has a lot of potential to go far. Let's stay in the West. Let's, let's go to the AL West. So region by region here. And I think that this is a division with a lot of star power, but two teams have really kind of just dropped off. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. One, I would say one more than the other this offseason, and that's being the A's just making so many moves. And if you ask me if it, it were, are the A's a wildcard team, even, I don't know, three weeks ago, I would have said probably, yeah. But now I don't know if I can say the same. They just lost mm-hmm. all of their stars. So that's going to be tough to replicate from other guys in the lineup. So I don't have them there. But, oh, man, this, this is tough because Astros are going to win the division, in my opinion. I'm sure that you agree with me. It just comes down to the Angels and the Mariners fighting for that second spot, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to – I really don't want to pick the Angels for that, for that wild card spot, but – um, I, I'm going to leave them out of it. I, I just think that something else has to happen for this team. And in order to get to that threshold for the playoffs, it, there's a lot that comes down to it. And can they make the wild card? Absolutely. They, they have the talent to do it. Um, I think they have the pitching to do it at this point, um, at least to get to that, you know, wild card spot in, in any, of any kind. But I don't know. I don't know if they can do it. Same with the Mariners, I would say, you know, um, losing Kyle Seeger obviously hurts. They made a lot of really good moves, though. I mean, just being able to um, build a roster, essentially, and almost make that playoff run last season, I think was really impressive, but I don't know. Um, Robbie Wright's definitely going to help them as well, but um, I'm not entirely sure if their lineup is just there yet. I mean, Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, that trade was massive, but a couple holes there too. I don't know. I want to. I want to take my angels to make the wild card, but I just don't know if I can. I I have to be realistic here. Mm-hmm. You think about too with this division, how much movement has been made. You think about obviously you know what the A's have done, kind of just doing this this teardown. You think about uh, obviously letting Billy Bean give Bob Melvin to the Padres. You think about you know all the trades that they've made. Um, all these different things, and you start to see this teardown start to take place over this last uh, few months. And then you see, on the flip side, you see the Rangers, they add places like Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. You know, so that's also trying to figure that out. There's no Carlos Correa in this division now. Um, so, and you think that with a full full, fully healthy Angels team, you think that their status quo amongst 
these three teams. And then you think about the Mariners and what they did last year. And you mentioned adding Winker and Suarez, um, adding Robbie Ray as well, but they don't have UC Kikuchi. So a lot of moving parts to this AOS during this offseason. And it'd be tough to see who comes out on top um, after 162 games. But I think ultimately when I think about this division, I think the Astros are still there. You think about their pitching that they have. You know, you think about also having Jose Altuve, one of the best hitters in the game, and Michael Brantley. So I'm going to go with the Astros on um, this division as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think we'll see what happens with that division. I mean, the Angels could definitely make a push for wild card. I don't think they're going to be able to finish first in the West. I think the Astros are too talented, but we'll see what happens. Now let's move on to the National League Central. And this is a pretty interesting division here, as well as most of these divisions are, I would say. And I think the clear-cut frontrunner here is probably the Brewers. Um, just their roster, the amount of all-stars that they've had, um, the run that they had last season as well. I believe Christian Yelich is going to come back um, for the season. Do you know about that, Brevin? Is he, is he healthy? I think he is healthy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so that's a big um, addition for them. They got Hunter Renfro out in right field, Lorenzo Kane, obviously, man in center. I think a big part of their lineup, too, is Andrew McCutcheon having a veteran yep. presence. Whether he's a DH or coming off the bench, just to have in that locker room, that clubhouse is really nice to have, too. And I think that their bullpen is looking good. Their rotation, obviously, is one of the best in the game. So I think they're no doubt the front runner for that division. I think the Cardinals could ultimately claim that wildcard spot as well. I think that they've done a really good job this offseason when making trades, and even these past couple seasons too. I think that they've done a really nice job with that roster there, and I think anything is possible in this division. I, I don't think that the Cubs are going to win, but I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think that they could do a lot better than a lot of people expect at the same time. But, you know, when you consider the Cardinals, man, I think they're going to get tough to pass in that division or even the national league in general. I, that's why I say that they're a wild card team, just because they got a decent rotation on them. They got a really nice bullpen to um, veteran leaders on that team, just all around. And I think that they've done a really good job just building that team altogether. So um, just some studs in that lineup just really made me think that they're a wild card team. Mm-hmm. This is this has always been a tough one to figure out because you think about how even how evenly matched these two teams these teams are, especially at the top. You think about the Brewers, mm-hmm. you know, we think about that starting rotation with uh, Corbin Birds and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta. We think about that back end of that rotation with Josh Hader as well. And think about the Cardinals. I think the biggest thing, um, you know, the Obviously, you won't have Jack Flurry because I think he's hurt to start off this year. But you do have Adam Wainwright, who won 17 games last year and a pretty good bounce back year for uh, caliber, uh, a player like uh, him of his age. You know, we mentioned Yadier Molina, Albert Pools earlier in our show. Um, Kyle, how fitting would it be for the Cardinals with Molina, with Wainwright, with Pools, that trio all back together and them winning a division yeah that would be ridiculous especially if they get past the brewers that would just be kind of a storybook mm-hmm. thing and i think that even if, if they go even further in the playoffs i would just even push more so of the narrative that yeah it's just a storybook ending to especially those mm-hmm. guys three careers because i think Molina's is going to hang it up after this season I'm not sure about Wayne right but he's definitely getting up there but either way that would that would be just a 30, 30 for 30 in itself, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Cardinals. I think the Brewers are a wild card team as well. So I'm going to add them to the wild cards. Mm-hmm. So I got the Cardinals and the Brewers make the wild card. For sure. Let's move on to the AL Central. And this is... A pretty tricky one to pick here. I think that um, anything could happen in this division, but I, I do think at the same time, the White Sox are the front runner. 
I think that they do have the best roster to win this division. I believe they won it last year as well, too. So I'm going to stick with that, too. Um, but I, I think that it could be close. I mean, you never know what could happen. Um, the Tigers, they don't necessarily have the best lineup on their end, but I feel like they definitely have some guys who could mix things up in that lineup. Obviously, Javi Baez, Jonathan, Jonathan Shu. I mean, he's not bad as well. Akil Badu, Robbie Grossman, he's a solid player. And then Miggy, obviously, being that DH role as he's been his whole career. He's 38 years old. Had a pretty good year last year, too, considering his age, you know. Um, I think that the Guardians, it feels so weird saying that, uh, the Guardians could, you know, make a push for that number one spot as well. Um, especially with their pitching talent. I mean, James Karen Chap being one of their top relievers, Shane Eber being their ace. You got Cal Quantrill, Aaron Saval. Um, I, I think they're a team with a lineup that could definitely mix things up too with your favorite, Brevin, Austin Hedges, mm-hmm. behind the plate as well. Yep. <laughs> but I, I don't think, you know, with that all being said, I, I still don't think that these teams – um, even the Royals or Twins, who I even brought up, can compete with the talent of the White Sox. Um, we know the pitching talent they have, especially in that bullpen. And um, I think that they're going to be a team that hits a lot of home runs this season. And they have the resume to back that up. So I'm going to pick the White Sox to win this division. It could be a little closer than people expect, but at the same time, I don't know. I just think their pitching is way too good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kyle and I, we're going to have a lot of the same answers, but that's going to change in a little bit when we okay. get to the, when, when we get to the American League, American League East. I guarantee that. Yeah. But when I think about this American League Central, uh, you got the White Sox up top. I think you know they should hands down be the favorite to win that division. You think about you know having Lucas Giolito at the top of that rotation. You add in some younger players like Dylan Seas as well, and you add another veteran at that back end and. Dallas Keuchel, and you think about we we've said it before, and you think about that bullpen, that seven eight nine with you get Joe Kelly possibly throwing the seventh inning, you get, and then you can just split up that eighth and ninth inning. Most likely to be Craig Kimbrell, and then it'd be Liam Hendricks. And you, you think about that lineup as well, how young and how good that lineup is out in Chicago. With you got Luis Robert, you get uh, Eli Jimenez, you have Tim Anderson who can hit three thirty on a given season. So. I'm going to take the White Sox on this, but I think in second place, I'm going to go with the Twins here. And I think this is where the value of Carlos Correa is huge, and he helps his team get to a wild card. Now, now the only question will be, can they win the wild card? Because they haven't been able to win a wild card game in I don't know how many years. I think the Twins are are a wild card team this year. Yeah, I could definitely see that, too. I mean, they – like you said, Korea arriving there, he, he brings a lot of potential to that. Mm-hmm. It's it's so hard to predict, you know, with um, so much yet to happen. But mm-hmm. I, I like that stance you take on that, though. I think that they're a team that is a sleeper, no doubt about that. And let's move on now to the National Leagues. And this is a division, I think, that should be pretty clear cut, even though like we like we've always said, anything can happen. Um, you have the Phillies, I think, um, leading the way there, and I think that's just not me saying because you know Bryce Harper was an MVP last year, but I think more so what they've done this offseason to make their team better. That rotation is looking really nice. Zach Wheeler leading the way, Aaron Nola, Zach Eflin, Kyle Gibson. You can go on with that. I think that they're. Bullpen even is still pretty, pretty talented. Yeah, Jose Alvarado, Juris Familiar, Corey Kniebel, Brad Hand, that's just naming a few there. And then that lineup is full of stars. They added Castiano, Scott Schwarber, as we talked about recently as well. And I just think they are a team that could be too good to beat within that division. I think that they are absolutely ready to make some moves in the NL East and um, just a lot of firepower on that team. Now, with that being said, though, too, I've already gone through my two wildcard teams. So, so you get a third. 
the, you get a third, a third this year, right? Kyle. Third, yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So between between those two, I, I was considering this for a third. It, it's between the Mets and the Braves at this point, and and here's the thing: it it really just all depends on how the Braves on how the Braves, you know, really just come back from that World Series championship last season because there's always, oh, the hangover effect and um, how do they kind of reload and not go to the rebuild phase, if you will. And I think they've done a good job of doing that, adding Kelly Jansen as their closer. They still got Will Smith in that bullpen too. Their um, starting rotation is looking pretty nice as well. They added Matt Olson to be replacing Freddie Freeman. Man, I don't know. It, this is tough. And they're going to get Acuna back, right, at some point? Yep. Mm-hmm. Probably around so, May. So that's going to happen. And that is going to be a welcome addition to that team. And I think if they can stay afloat until then, until his return, I think they'll be fine. And here's the thing. They did it last year, too. They were mm-hmm. without him for a really long time. And they made that run. And they surprised a lot of people. And they ended up winning. Now, at the same time, there's the New York Mets. And this rotation is scary to face of the Grom, Scherzer, Walker, Bassett, Carrasco. They got a good bullpen behind them, too. They got a good lineup as well. Um, yeah, this is just a really tough team to get past as well. So with that being said, I think it's going to be a neck-and-neck race to the finish between these two teams. I think they got a lot of talent. I think they on, um, you know, both ends of baseball. I mean, just on the mound, they've got talent there. They can hit well. They've got guys with contact, with power. They've got speed. And these just feel like really complete ball clubs. And it's hard to pick one of those two. But one of those two is going to be, you know, that third wildcard team, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think this, this NL East division is kind of similar to the way we we figure out the NL Central because you got three teams up top that can easily take this take his vision crown year in and year out. And once again, we see it this year between Atlanta, New York, and Philly. I think Miami, they're still a year or two away. I think they still need a couple of pieces. Obviously, with Derek Jeter not leaving the team, that doesn't help um, here in 2022. Um, but yeah, and I think it's between those three teams, and I think ultimately winning this NL East division, I'm going to go with the Braves here. And then when I think about these other two teams, think about the Mets, think about the Phillies. The thing is, is you know how how are their bullpens going to be come down the stretch? Because we saw that how crucial that was here in last season. How how big the bullpens are going to be, and can can let's say the Phillies or or the Mets hold off the Giants for that third spot in the wild card or can they hold off you know a surprise team maybe like I don't want to throw anything out there too bad but you know a team like maybe the Cubs make a surprise you never know and that that'd be the question coming in but I think the Braves will win this division and I think I could see the Phillies being that third wildcard team. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I picked them to win a division, but any of those teams can overtake them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just feels like both of these leagues coming out the East are so competitive, mm-hmm. especially now. And it's just impossible to predict because now we're going to get into the AL East, which I feel is, you know, maybe even more tough to kind of, you know, come up with. Um, than the enemies. And here we have the Tampa Bay Rays, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. And I I honestly couldn't pick between all of these, all of these teams. Um, how how many wild card teams did I already say for the AL? I already said one, right? Just one. I think you just had one. So yeah, that's right. So with the two coming out of the ALEs, I, I'm gonna say the Toronto Blue Jays win this division. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go out on a win and say they're gonna win this division. I think that 
you know, despite losing Robbie Ray, they've still not done a nice job preserving the um, steadiness of that rotation, adding Galsman, um, Alec Manoa is still there, Ryu is still there, Berrios as well, Jordan Romano is a solid closer. Um, I think a couple question marks beyond that in their bullpen, but other than that, they still seem to be pretty solid. Um, but adding Matt Chapman to that lineup and adding George Springer to that lineup is just, I think, going to make a world of difference for them. I mean, they're such a young team. And I think those two are really going to be able to provide at the plate for them. They're just two really experienced guys who have one at the highest level, um, specifically George Springer, Matt Chapman. Obviously, he's an all-star, but I think that these guys are just going to make a world of difference for this team. And I think that um, adding a couple more guys of their caliber are going to take this team over the edge. I mean, we all know what, what Vlad can do. Kevin Biggio, Bobachet, um, even Rymel Tapia, adding him to that roster is going to add some sort of electricity and energy to that team. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're going to be a really fun team to watch and they can go far. And so I'm going to say that they're going to win this division, but that's take that with a grain of salt because I could be very wrong and they could totally miss the playoffs altogether because here you have the Red Sox who I think are ultimately going to get another wild card um, birth as well. They're going to get number two out of the AL, in my opinion. They've done a nice job building the roster. It's pretty similar to what it was last season. I, I think that's pretty fair to say, but the big addition is Trevor's story there. And I think that's going to be massive for them, just adding more power to that already power, I guess, centered lineup in, in a sense, especially with Rafael Devers and Bobby Dahlbeck. I mean, obviously, you got guys with contact who can. Um, really change anything at any time like J.D. Martinez. But I think that they, that's another element to their lineup that they're really going to like. And it's going to be fun to see him playing second base too. And I think, man, I, I hate to leave the Rays out of the wild card, but I think I am in this case. But I, I recognize I could be wrong because they have a lot of talent. I just don't know if they've done enough to, you know, make that roster necessarily better yep. this mm-hmm. offseason. It's just tough to say because the moves of all these other teams are just so crazy to me, and they really stand out. And I think that they're eye-opening in their own ways. But the Yankees, man, they just got such a really nice lineup beyond them. I think that their rotation and their pitching altogether, there's a couple question marks there, but I think they'll be able to figure it out as long as they stay healthy. Garrett Cole's going to have to have a hell of a season. But, I mean, adding to that lineup, Isaiah Connor Falefa, that's important for them. Joey Gallo, that addition last season was huge. They got Josh Donaldson now, too, and he's going to bring a lot of experience to that club. He's still got some years ahead of him, too. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is getting older. He's 36, but even then, he still produced at a high level last season for the Twins. So um, I think they're a team with a lot of power, with a lot of poise, and I think that um, Stanton and Judge are going to have to be the ones that are driving in the runs as they have these past couple seasons, as long as they stay healthy, though. Yeah, that health is going to be the big question here in this National League East. We saw that with the Yankees last year. It felt like every it felt like every other day there was someone getting hurt. It wasn't like there was a full lineup there in New York. And that would be the question this year. Um I think ultimately I see Toronto and Boston playing in October or later into October, but I think ultimately I think Boston wins this, a division crown, and I see Toronto just missing out of this division. You know, as much as we think about Fly Jr., we think about Teoscar Hernandez, that starting rotation, I still think with having Chris Dale, having Nathan Eovaldi, that's huge for that ball club, you know, they just they won a World Series just four years ago. It feels like a lot longer than that. But you think about adding, you mentioned Trevor's story, which is key. Um, and I think the biggest part of that Red Sox team, it's that X factor in Xander Bogarts and what he's able to do. So I think Boston wins his AL East and Toronto wins the wild card, takes the wild card. Yeah, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm excited for the season, especially – um, like I said, in, in the East, coming out of both leagues, man, it, it's going to be very competitive. 
that's going to be a lot of really good baseball to watch. I think it's going to be really unpredictable too. And so I'm in for it. I'm here for it. And it's going to be really exciting to see what happens there. We're going to jump ship here. We're done talking about Major League Baseball. Um, season is just a few days away, so we're looking forward to that. Um, but before we get to that, we got the NCAA Final Four, both men's and women's. And we'll start with the men's here because this has been pretty unpredictable. I think that this year, I always make two brackets, like I mentioned in, in our previous episodes. One is a serious bracket. One has a little bit more upsets. It's a little bit more rowdy, a little bit more wild, if you will. But in each bracket, I only picked one uh, competitor in the final four in, in each bracket. So not a good year for me um, in bracketology. And here we are with Saturday, April 2nd. That's when it all begins, this final four in New Orleans. Number two, Villanova coming out of the South, playing number one, Kansas in the Midwest. So it's going to be at 3.09 p.m. Pacific. And then also number two, Duke, coming out of the West. They're going to play number eight, North Carolina, out of the East at 5.49 p.m. Pacific on Saturday as well. And obviously, this is the first North Carolina-Duke matchup in March Madness ever before. Coach K passed John Wooden for the most Final Four appearances in men's March Madness history. And he was also the first, first coach in D1 history from the men's or women's side to reach a Final Four in five different decades, obviously being there from the 1980s until now here in 2022. And we could very well end up seeing his last game on Saturday as well, either Saturday or Monday, depending on what happens. But, Revan, out of these two kind of matchups, um, who would you say – which – one kind of stands out more to you. Is it the, the matchup with the mo more intrigue between Villanova or Kansas or um, one with history on the line with uh, Duke and North Carolina? I think it's ultimately a film with history between Duke and North Carolina. And that's why, they, that's why CBS, they set this up where Duke North Carolina isn't the first game out of, on the schedule. And uh, so you so you watch Villanova and Kansas before Duke and North Carolina tip off. We, like you mentioned, you know this is the first this is the first Blue Devil uh, North Carolina matchup in March Madness. We haven't seen this matchup before. You think about playing two times, playing you know you could play up to three times, including conference tournament. I don't think they these two teams played each other in this year's conference tournament. It was just on mm -hmm. senior day and Cameron indoor in at Duke. But you think about that matchup, North Carolina, they came out on top in front of coach K's final home game. I think even though coach K is not talking about, you know, wanting revenge from that game, I think it's still in their heads of wanting to beat this North Carolina team. You know, this is the, um, you know, this is, this is the final four, you know, you have a chance to play for the national championship on Monday and that'd be key for this Duke blue Devils team. Um, ultimately I see Duke winning this game mm -hmm. um, just for, for what coach K's done on top of how elite this team is um, and how well they can get to the basket and create easy shots. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I think, and it's so tough to predict, but um, I think it is going to be Kansas against Duke in the, in the national championship. And I don't ask me who wins that because I just, I really don't know. <laughs> but I, I feel like at the same time, it, it's the story is scripted so that, you know, it, it's Coach K's last ride. And so I think that it has to follow that, right? Because it's, you followed it the whole way until the final four. So they have to go to the national championship. I think that. At this point, it really comes down to stopping Armando Baycott um, from North Carolina. Just absolute warrior. Um, he's physical down low. He's got good size. He wins every rebound. And he's a scorer, too. And um, they've made a really good run in this tournament. I think that they were a team that really wasn't considered to be one of the best um, in the country, you know, at, at least heading into this tournament. Um, didn't really see many people with them in their final fours, but here they are. And they've done a really nice job um, after the Roy Williams era. But here we have Duke, man. They, 
they look really good. They got a top prospect. Um, they got a lot of five stars on their team, as they always do. Just so much talent all around. They can score at a high level. They played well defensively this tournament, too. They um, don't seem to foul the opponent too much. I think that's really what it comes down to here, and you know, especially later on in this tournament, is keeping these guys off the free throw line because that's what that's what's going to win or lose your games, uh, regardless of what happens. If they end up there, if they don't, or if they make or miss. So, I think that's what's going to be big with this. Um, so, I, I do think it's going to be Kansas Duke, but anything can happen. I think it's just going to be an incredible weekend of basketball, though, and then we also have our final four picks um, back on March 15th, just two episodes ago. I had Duke, so, yeah, I got one right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I had UCLA, who, yeah, they're done. Tennessee, they're well done. Um, and Wisconsin, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and, Brevin, you had Gonzaga, Villanova, Iowa, and Purdue. And, honestly, you're seeing pretty good because Iowa was hot going into the tournament. Yeah, won the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, and Purdue, man, Jaden Ivey's stud. He's going to be a top prospect as well. Um, Villanova has a pick. They've looked really good. Really good guard play on, on their end. Gonzaga, man. Um, yeah, that was – that was interesting to watch them go down, but I, I think that we kind of saw the vulnerability against Memphis before Drew Tanning started going crazy in that game too. Mm-hmm. So um, especially vulnerability down on the post, but um, you picked Villanova over Gonzaga in your deck. So right, you're, I did. you're just, you're just rooting for Villanova pretty much this whole way. I am. I yeah. think, so there you, go. you know, with what Jay Wright's able to do it, this would be another good matchup between Jay Wright and Bill Self, a couple of, really premier college coaches and I think Villanova originally I had Villanova over Arizona or um over Iowa in this and not Kansas but I still think Villanova can still defeat the Jayhawks yeah absolutely so (laughs) we'll see what happens with that Mm -hmm. I mean hopefully everyone listening you guys have pretty good brackets left too because I mean, I didn't check mine after the first two days because I knew I was in a bad spot. And then I checked, you know, five days later and yeah, it it was even worse than I expected. (laughs) And so, yeah, hopefully you guys are still in it. Um, Winning some monies, you know, if if you guys put a bunch of money in a pot in the group and Mm -hmm. as people do during March Madness. So we'll we'll see about that, but it should be a great weekend of basketball as well. And I think also um, that's really going to start this Friday. And that is the first set of Final Four games coming on the women's end. And these have been really good games. I don't know how much um, you guys have been able to watch this women's tournament, but at, at some point in, points in the day, it's been like the only sporting event on it. They've been really good games. I've been really impressed with the quality of broadcast ESPN has put on for um, these ladies going at it. And they play at a high level, and it's really fun to watch. It just seems... Like, the difference between men's and women's is men's is, like, hyper-competitive. And so is women's. But it seems like the, 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 the ladies out there, man, it just seems like they have a lot more fun. Maybe, maybe it's just because they have bigger personalities. I don't know what it is. But it's been a really good tournament on the women's. And that's going to continue with South Carolina. They're the one seed out of the Greensboro region, taking on number one Louisville, the Wichita region. That's going to be at 4 p.m. Pacific on Friday again. April 1st, that's going to be in Minneapolis at the Target Center. And then number one, Stanford from the Spokane region, taking on two-seated UConn coming out of Bridgeport. That's going to be just after at 6.30 p.m. Pacific on Friday. And these should be really good games. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that women's might be a little bit easier to predict in terms of the final four because we have all top seeds pretty much. Um, UConn being a number two, but I mean, it's UConn. So they're going to end up being in the final four. You got to figure. And I mean, it, it took a lot to get there. They went into double overtime the other day, but they were able to pull it off. I don't know. I, I kind of want to see a Louisville against UConn matchup in this national championship. I don't know who's necessarily going to win the, win these games. I do know that South Carolina is a pretty good favorite over Louisville, 
Um, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. I think they are maybe a little bit well more balanced as a team. Um, good guard play. They're able to get it down low and, and finish there too. But um, Louisville is led by Haley Van Lish. She's a really good scorer, good passer, um, just knows what to do with the basketball. And um, you could say the same of Paige Beckers from UConn too. And I know that um, Russell Wilson's sister plays for Stanford as well. Um, because every time I'm watching a Stanford game, they're always showing Russell in the crowd. I'm just like, we get it, you know, <laughs> but we, we understand, but um, it, it's cool that he's there supporting his sister too. Um, and hopefully Anna and that squad is able to go far. Um, perhaps even making the national championship game. Um, they definitely have the time to do so. Stanford's always good. I don't know who's going to win these games, though, Brevin. Like, if, if I had to pick, it, it would be Louisville against UConn, but it's tough, man. Yeah, what's difficult about this, Stanford, they won the national championship last year. They beat South Carolina in the Final Four. So if you see a South Carolina-Stanford matchup, it's a rematch of last year's in the Final Four. Um, UConn uh, lost to Arizona last year in the Final Four on the other side of that bracket. Um, so that's something to watch um, in terms of historic matchups from last year. You know, UConn, you mentioned that double overtime victory. It's the longest game past the Elite Eight in women's Final Four history, which was also um, on when UConn defeated um, NC State in double overtime. Yeah, this would be really. Mm -hmm. They had to win that game at the free throw line and by playing yep. really good defense. That was just mm -hmm. absolutely intense. Yep. Imagine if you get South Carolina UConn. I think Gino Ayurama going up against Don Staley, two really oh, yeah. good coaches there. I think ultimately I could see that. Although I don't, I, I think Stanford they want to keep that national championship title with them too so that'd be a really great uh final four matchup between those two teams um ultimately i think south carolina does get to this national championship team and i think too though i think they'll face uconn in a one versus two matchup and i think don staley and these gamecocks are going to pull out the victory yeah i i think it is going to come down to um honestly um mm -hmm. south carolina and UConn, but like you said, man, that that um, national champion matchup from last season, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that too, because both both of those teams are favored to go on and go to the Natty. So we'll see what happens with that. But mm -hmm. um, UConn, they always score at a high level. They share the ball incredibly well, so I think that's a winnable game for them. A little bit more far fetched, I think, for Louisville, but anything can happen in March, like we've yep. always said. And so I think that'll be important um, to know and to remember heading into this weekend. Um, really good games coming up here. Um, definitely excited to watch this. And I feel like I've been more invested in um, women's March Madness this year than any other year before. So I, I think that it's I, I've been missing out in the past couple of years because it's been a lot of fun. So that'll be fun to follow. Um, again, women's on Friday and men's competing on Saturday and then um, the Natty for the men's, I know, is on Monday. Monday. So is the women's on Sunday then, too, as well? Uh, yes, that is on Sunday. So that would be a really good game um, mm -hmm. because not much going on on Sunday, obviously, with the final four men's games happening on Saturday. I think ESPN did a really good job of scheduling mm -hmm. these games. So um, you can watch, you know, there's one day of women's and then another day of men's on mm -hmm. CBS or TBS TNT. Um, really good job just putting this tournament all together. Just, uh, I think, too, the accessibility to watch all of these games yep. has been really great, too, with the streaming platforms, everything being free. It's great. So it's been a great march, and hopefully we get a good finish, too. Mm -hmm. But let's get to some NFL now. And we have some new changes going on yep. in terms of the rules. And a lot of people wanted to see this. Not necessarily sure how much it changes in my opinion at least but you know at least it makes it a little more fair is that 
both teams, if they go to overtime, they will each receive a possession. So we saw the Bills season cut short, um, mostly because they weren't able to have a chance to touch the football in that overtime period, and both teams were scoring like crazy. Um, and the Chiefs ended up winning that game. But this is going to be a really good change, I think. I think people like this a lot more. It, it adds more interest. It drags the game on a little longer, too, so that's not hurting it, and I follow anyway. And I, I think it's just the right way for things to be done at the very least. I think at some point you might make them want to go for two. Maybe that rule could even be implemented in years to follow um, if they get in the end zone. But, I mean, Brevin, what, what do you think about this? What do you think the details of this rule? Um, I mean, it just seems like this should have happened maybe a few seasons ago because we, we've been playing with this – score one touchdown and you're done rule yeah. for a while now mm-hmm. yeah this one's a little difficult to figure out i understand where both sides are coming from you know mm-hmm. it's we did a we did an entire fair foul segment from that bill's chiefs games on whether we should have <laughs> overtime or not whether we should have both teams getting the ball or not and i said then that you know taking the side of, you know, you got to defend, you know, you got to defend the Chiefs for the Bills mm-hmm. And after that. And I was watching ESPN and what their reaction was. And Marcus Spears from ESPN, he said it's pretty much, you know, you're it was, it was like um, you're just like giving something to something that really doesn't need to happen because this is the NFL, it's professional football. And yeah, you could say that uh, teams that won the overtime coin flip in the postseason were 10 and two, including seven of those wins, seven of those 10 wins coming on the open possession. Yeah, there's that argument too, but you think about how good that Bill's defense was to to try and stop that Chiefs offense. I mean, there's 11 players on the field i mean it's two more than baseball it's five more than hockey um six more than basketball right i think there's there's many there's the opportunities to defend and um i thought this rule maybe shouldn't have happened yeah i mean i'm fine with the rule it's pretty indifferent to me it doesn't matter that much to me but Mm -hmm. i think that one thing that should have probably been addressed with this is the overtime or not the overtime rule but the tie the the tie rule because no one wants to tie in the regular season we don't like saying that it makes it so difficult to calculate Mm -hmm. who's going to win this division who's going to make the wild card you have to Mm -hmm. do all this this math we got to figure it out you know work through the algorithms whatever and for me, it's just what this does is pretty much. So, for instance, it, it, if I'm the Broncos and, and Brevin, you're the Raiders, if I score a touchdown, you score a touchdown, how much time do I have left to even get down the field and score right after, you know? However much uh, time's left, I think. Yeah, exactly. Because it's says, only a 10-minute overtime. Exactly. And who says you're even going to have the opportunity to take a field goal if you're able to get down there again. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. So I think this also could end up in more teams tying. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it, especially. And here's the thing, especially if one team takes a field goal to begin and another takes a field goal after that, you know, then you're just pretty much, you know, patty cake back and forth. And so I don't know what it is with this role, but um, I think just, Going for two maybe would, mm-hmm. you know, maybe increase the chances of there not being a tie or there, yeah. there's got to be something else because, I mm-hmm. mean, what was it last season? Najee Harris was like, I didn't even know you could tie in the NFL. He plays <laughs> in the NFL. He starts in the NFL. Uh, that's so, a right game. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I feel like the NFL should have maybe done something to address that maybe first mm-hmm. because – all I feel like this new rule change does is increase the odds of a tie or makes it maybe even a little more likely to happen. 
And so I don't know. I, I think it's a fine role. It's whatever to me, pretty much. But um, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how it plays out, especially in that first game that does go to overtime. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what it's going to look like, how teams are going to approach that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a little bit more clarity on these playoff overtime rules. If the score is tied after each team has possessed the ball, then next or next score wins. So whether it's game-winning field goal, touchdown, um, if the team also if the team's kicking off to start the overtime period, that kicks off scores a safety on the receiving team's initial possession. That team that kicked off is the winner. So a couple of more clar- clarity within that. Interesting for sure. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. That first game, I'm really looking forward to. I want to see mm-hmm. how um, teams kind of adapt to that, their approach to especially playing offense. Um, if they go conservative or if they just go air raid and just throw it downfield pretty much. Um, so that would be fun to watch, I guess. But we kind of slowed down in terms of the transactions here in the NFL. Not many moves have been made or – I guess notable moves for the most part, not too many big names, but one um, that is on the move now um, who might impact your fantasy lineups in the weeks and years to come is Ronald Jones. He is a Kansas City Chief. He signed a one-year deal there, and he will be working alongside Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in that backfield. I think this is a pretty good pickup for them. I did not envision him going to the Chiefs. I thought maybe he could have gone to maybe team like the 49ers who could really use a speedy running back like that, adapt to any system, um, versatile catch passes out of the backfield kind of guy. But here he is in Kansas city. I think he'll fit in there pretty well too, especially within that offense. So intricate and so detailed and um, a lot of motions. I think he'll benefit from that too. And this will be a new look offense without Tyreek Hill in some, some ways. Um, but I think it's a move that'll, pay off pretty well with them, especially that with the fact that we know that Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he he's pretty susceptible to injury, or at least he has been so far in his mm-hmm. career. Yeah, I think about this deal. I think it you you think about the the low volume that he got in Tampa Bay with yeah. Lennon Fournette in that backfield. And so as a result with Tom coming back, Lennon Fournette coming back, I think it made sense for Ronald Jones to find another team. Although I didn't think Kansas city was going to be that team um, that was going to get, uh, that was going to go after a running back like Ronald Jones, because you mentioned Clyde Edwards Hilaire. You think about Daryl Williams and Derek Gore, one, two, three, right there. I thought he could have went to another team, maybe like, um, maybe like a Seattle and back up Rashad Penny or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't think Kansas City was going to be that team. But I guess it's if Ronald Jones is going to be able to catch passes, passes with, yeah, as you mentioned, Tyreek Hill leaving, then it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that will be interesting, I guess, to see how it plays out because mm-hmm. there's a lot of moves that have been made in Kansas City, obviously, with Tyreek Hill, like I mentioned, to be signed Judy Smith-Schuster. They brought in Valdez Scantling, like we brought up last week. I think they need to draft another receiver, maybe in round two or three. Um, but their offense looks to be looking a little different, um, especially with Nicole Hardman. He's going to get a lot more touches, um, you would think. One last NFL move before we get to trivia here today and wrap up our episode is Malcolm Jenkins. He retires. Um, seems like he's been in the league forever. And he had a, he had a good career, um, more so than a lot of other people who have played mm-hmm. in this league. He's 34 years old. I honestly thought he was going to stick around maybe a few more years, but he's calling it quits. Um, and I mean, just a really good career from him. 199 games played, 21 interceptions. I can't even count the amount of tackles that he's had in his career. 1,044 combined, 804 solo tackles, um, 51 tackles for a loss. He's recovered 11 fumbles, forced 20, just a hard-hitting guy, played with a lot of passion, made three Pro Bowls, played with, um, the, with the Eagles, played with the Saints, 
um, came back to the Saints to finish out his career. I think that's a really special way to do it. Pretty much split his career in both places and both markets. And when you think about him and his career, um, Brevin, what would you say kind of stand up to you? Is it kind of the hard hitting guy or um, more so the guy, the savvy veteran that is always the school and the younger guys? Pretty much both of those. I think, too, yeah. you mentioned Philly, you mentioned New Orleans, both won a Super Bowl with both those teams as well. So that also stands out. Obviously, helped helped the Eagles get its first Super Bowl team history. Obviously, the, the Saints with what he was able to do um, totally in, in his 13-year NFL career. Yeah, you said it. Uh, two-time Super Bowl champ, and I think that pretty much sums up his resume. He probably won't go in the Hall of Fame, but he is still a notable player of this generation that um, has to be commended for what he did Mm -hmm. on the field, no doubt about that, and um, off the field as well. And then also another piece of Saints news I kind of want to get to before we wrap up here is Taysom Hill. I mean, it's a pretty interesting situation um, that he is likely not going to line up at quarterback as much as we I've seen in the past or as much as we expected him to. And that's mostly because they really want to start utilizing him as a tight end. And I think we are going to see a lot more of that because their other tight end right now is Adam Troutman and Nick Vanette. I think Casey Hill is really going to make the next step um, of being a blocking and receiving tight end because not only did the Saints resign James Winston, but they brought in Andy Dalton to be the backup too. So what, what do you think, Brevin, about him being a tight end? Because I know last year he was a fantasy tight end and you picked him up. Yeah, I won't be able to be able to do that anymore. I won't be able to pick up – won't be able to pick up Tyson Hill, use him as a tight end quarterback combo in a flex position and get 25 points in that. I won't be able to do that. Yeah, so <laughs> that was surely a thing to be – surely a thing to be remembered. I – Honestly, don't think enough people talked about that because that, nope. was, so, that, that was so wild to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, there you go. He's a tight, mm-hmm. he's a tight end now. I think the question for Taysom Hill is how much is he going to run the ball, like in a wildcat formation? I think that would be the key with the Saints moving forward. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, he's surely going to line up at quarterback, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extent that he did, but absolutely he is. Um, the way that offense operates, he wants him out there. He wants to utilize every part of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's going to be really interesting um, to see what happens within that Saints offense. They're a very interesting team to watch. But um, we'll see what other NFL moves are made within the next couple mm-hmm. of weeks, and we'll keep you updated on that. But now we're going to go to our final segment, which is trivia. And, Bretman, you have the topic today. Yeah, I was really debating about this. Um, so my, on Monday, it would be national championship for men's college hoops. You know, you as we talked about earlier, it's Villanova, UNC, Duke, and Kansas. Now, these four teams have combined to win nine NCAA championships since 2001. Now, Kyle, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try and tell me the years that each team won however many championships that they did between now or between 2000 and 2022 yeah this is going to be a rough time for me mm-hmm. I, I already know that i'm i'm going to struggle with this oh man oh uh, uh okay uh <laughs> man i can barely remember who won last year <laughs> um, i'll give so you a hint none of these four teams won last year kyle yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I figured that. Um, man. Uh, I, I know that 2016 was Villanova. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that one. Um, I think, man, which year was Duke? Was that 14? I'm going to guess Duke in 2014. No, I'll give you another hint, Kyle. The Aztecs played Duke the year they won the national championship. Oh, 13. Nope. Oh, 15. My... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was that was 15 because they played them second round, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. So there you go. That's that's another one. Um, was it Villanova? Was that thirteen? One of these teams is twenty thirteen. I'm gonna <laughs> stick with that number. No, twenty thirteen. That was the year Rick Pitino helped oh, the Louisville gosh. Cardinals, and uh, we all know how that went down. Yeah. Oh gosh. And that win over Michigan. Um. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we do. Um. Wasn't Villanova eighteen as well? Was that the yes. was that the was that the Josh Hart year or was that sixteen? I don't know. I think that was sixteen over okay. North Carolina. Okay. All right. Twenty eighteen, twenty sixteen, and twenty fifteen. And then I know that North Carolina, North Carolina was my senior high school, so they were 2017, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Now these other ones, I'm really gonna struggle with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So from the five that you have left, Kansas has one of these championships. Oh boy. Yeah. Now, honestly, I might have to call it there because my my knowledge of all right NCAA tournaments prior to twenty fourteen <laughs> is terrible. Okay. All right. So Kansas, they won their uh, NCAA championship in two thousand eight. That was the year Mario Chalmers hit that big three. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Duke has won twice, uh, 2001 and 2010. Okay. Uh, UNC has the other two. They won in 2005, 2009. 2009 was the year Tyler Hansbrough was with the uh, North Carolina. I probably should have guessed that. (laughs) Yeah, I was just... Yeah, that that's the thing. Like my my March Madness tournament knowledge is honestly not that good. Like historically, at least, because I was younger back then. I didn't I didn't really care as much in terms of the tournament. Um, but it, it definitely brings a lot more intrigue um, with maturity. I would say I, I think that's the same for anyone too. It's it's such an interesting tournament. Um, I was thinking like, you know, Duke in in fifteen. Um, I almost said 14, but I thought, I think 2014, that was Kimball Walker year, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. I know I wasn't going to do well, but when I get like four or five, something like that. You got the last four. Okay. Well, it could have been worse, I guess. So you technically, Kyle, you got four straight from 2015 to 2018. Mm -hmm. And then it's 2005 titles between Duke, Kansas, and UNC from 2001 to 2010. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it could have been worse, I guess. So mm-hmm. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a little bit of blue blood NCAA championship history before Monday's March Madness, uh, the, the battle to host the national championship. One of these four teams will become the 10th team among the four to host a national championship dating back to 2001. All right, well, that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. We thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, we're going to talk some MLB opening day, which is on Thursday, April 7th. We're going to talk NBA. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty of the regular season. Will the Lakers make the uh, play-in tournament? That'll be a question for them coming up. Uh, within these next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun um, as we get into the heart of April. We got the Masters coming up with Tiger Woods play in the Masters. That'll be some things that we might talk about coming up. So I want to thank you for tuning in. That's going to do it for us here today on Wednesday, March 30th. We'll see you all next month, or we'll talk to you all next month here on Down the Line.